0: Hello, everyone. Adam Parks here with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today, I am here with the ACA International CEO, Mr. Scott Purcell. How are you doing today, Scott?
1: Doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. I know that you are a well-known figure around the industry, obviously leading the charge for ACA International. But for anyone who has not had the pleasure that I've had to meet you in person, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today?
1: Adam, thanks so much. And it's a pleasure to be able to share that. And as you can tell, I'm old, so I won't give you the long version, but uh, came into the uh, industry about 13 years ago and joined a mid-sized collection agency in the Northwest, first as their chief operating officer, and then three or four years later, moved into that president's role. We're a little north of 200 employees. In that agency, we served healthcare, utilities, and government clients primarily. So have lived on you know, the other side of the desk, if you will, a very robust life in collections and enjoyed it tremendously. Actually, I have a CPA background. And so I think a lot about analysis, <laughs> business models, what works, what doesn't work, ROI on those things. So had a tremendous amount of fun and worked for an amazing man, uh, Joe Hawes, uh, in the industry and learned so much from him as well as my fellow team members. I got involved in ACA early on when I joined the agency and eventually got on their board of directors and so played a very active role in ACA, including in the officer role and eventually uh, president. And then when Mark Neeb announced his retirement, I just have a passion uh, for what we do and the impact that we have, ACA members have, on the American consumer. And... Part of ACA, a huge part of ACA is its advocacy role. And so while it was difficult to leave the agency, I also knew this was the right next step for me because of that passion. So I can serve all of the ACA members and became CEO uh, just a little over a year ago. I do wanna make a point, Adam. That advocacy, I'll, I'll tell any legislator that I can. What we do matters we return about $90 billion a year back to the creditor clients. That's about $706 for every American family. So we are a part of the fight against inflation, and we do great work. And you know, people don't always have that idea about collection agencies. But as soon as I say that, the tone changes because they see the value.
0: I always tell people we protect available credit, and we're also protecting against interest rates. Because if I can't Collect, then my only option as a lender is to increase my interest rates to offset the risk that I'm taking of not being repaid, which I know is a big part of what you guys are doing at ACA International. Could you tell everybody a little bit about ACA International and what it is you guys do there?
1: Absolutely. We've been around for over 70 years, the main trade association for those in the accounts receivable management industry. We have uh, third-party debt collectors, first-party servicers. We have collection attorneys, we have asset buyers, and we have international members as well as affiliate members, those folks that are dreaming up great technology to help collections run more efficiently. So it's a pretty broad tent. And as I said, advocacy is a huge part of what we do, both at the federal and state level. When you look at the effectiveness of ACA's federal lobbying, activities led by Leah Dempsey from the Brownstein firm. It's significant the number of great relationships we have on the Hill because so much work has been done over time developing those relationships. And we put a lot of resource towards that. As you know, Congress turns over every two years. And so (laughs) new relationships, new roles within the various committees and those things that have impact on us. And then likewise, ACA has units as well. They're autonomous, but we're very much linked together and so a close relationship we have a dedicated resource in Andy Madden who oversees the state units and their issues he tracks over 900 state bills every year that impact debt collection or could have an impact on debt collection and then works so well with those local unit leaders and their lobbyists so that we've got national resources applied at a local level working in sync and then we work with the other trades as well and coordinate very often weekly actually with the ncba and rmai in terms of what is that message uh, are there risks that need to be covered and so very proud of the advocacy work then on the education side making sure we've got great credentialing programs we've got eight different credentials that members can earn and credentials are important it tells your clients that you've uh, amassed a certain amount of knowledge and are proven in that. It proves to yourself, I do have this confidence in the body of knowledge that that credential relates to it. Proves to your peers as well, and it proves to legislators as well. I think that's an important part of our paradigm. That credentialing and education, ongoing education is so important. Lastly, we've got our Industry Advancement Fund. This came about in 2015, and so we're able to block particularly those meritless suits and those novel, uh, if you will, legal theories that come on the table from time Mm. to time. Hunstein's a a great example. You know, I don't know how novel that was, but it was an issue. And ACA's Industry Advancement Fund is able to get behind some of those fights to make sure uh, everybody's playing by the same rules and in a way that that makes sense and really thwart some of the bad ideas uh, that are out there.
0: Well, 2023 is going to be a big year for, I think, the entire industry. And granted, I don't think there's another Reg F coming down the pipe. Um, but between the ballot initiatives and other things that we're starting to see, I think it's going to be a very active year. Um, I know I've already got my tickets for ACA Ignite and the annual conference, um, which will be in Denver. Uh, I'm sorry, in Chicago. Um, and then I'm also starting to look at you know Fall Forum as well. Anything hot button on the uh, the agenda for this year?
1: Absolutely, and so glad you've got your tickets in advance. Uh, appreciate always running into you, Adam. In fact. You're going to be uh, speaking at Ignite, our spring conference, and very grateful for that, including an introductory class on debt buying. And a lot of our members uh, are saying, how can we grow? And that can be one other area that they can grow in uh, themselves and providing the tools to do that. Bringing everybody together uh, in that third week in March at Ignite and the website to get all the details, acainternational.org. Uh, is important and I really look at the insight that our members have because like when I was on the other side of the desk you're living it every day you know you're trying experiments what works what doesn't work and when I look at the quality of speakers at Ignite that's you know the one coming up it's true for the other uh, conferences as well but I look at that and I'm just amazed for example Uh, One of the topics I'm really excited to listening to is achieving prosperity in the face of adversity. Mm -hmm. We've got some new paradigms. We have a hard time recruiting. Our teams are smaller now. We've got inflationary uh, measures against us. Everybody does driving our costs up. We also have other regulation that's driving costs up more than what you would normally expect in a regular business. And What's the mindset? What are some things that have worked and not worked? I look at another one of our sessions, technology in action, and one of our members is gonna give a real life case study of how they digitized so much of the operation and the very positive impact, both on the top line, as well as on the bottom line, that that digitization and digital engagement caused. Excuse me. (coughs) And then everything from real world, navigating near-shore operations. A lot of people, that was taboo before, but mm-hmm. now even clients are okay with it because they're having to near shore just for their basic operations as well. So we've got you covered from data to compliance to legal traps to all those things I, I, I just spoke about. And I, I'm
0: excited talk- about this one because we, not only do we get to talk about you know, kind of what it is to be a debt buyer, but also how are the debt buyers getting financing and what options are available, which I think creates a more realistic mechanism for somebody who's already plugged into the industry to be able to kind of actually be able to execute on the things that we're talking about because we're talking about what is a debt buyer, where debt is available to purchase, right? Like where can I buy accounts? And then how am I financing those accounts? Which is an answer that has changed through the years, right? It used to be a lot of private funds. Then you had a lot of money coming into the industry when interest rates were cheap, but things are starting to change again, right? So as interest rates are rising, so is the cost of capital for those that want to make acquisitions. And I think it'll be interesting because my co-presenters come from some very different perspectives, one coming from that debt brokerage perspective and the other one coming with debt brokerage experience because Ed Forbes was formerly my partner in Sterling Capital Management when we were brokering together, but then he spent the, you know, the remainder the last 10 years or so actually working for specialty finance companies to provide that capital that's necessary in order to make those purchases. Because it's not like you can run to the local bank and be like, I want to buy bad debt. Will you lend me money? I mean, you need a sophisticated lender that truly understands the marketplace, which I think is a unique requirement.
1: So true. And, you know, the agencies have so much. Often they're going to be buying debt from existing clients because they trust them. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've had a system conversion and so they've got a portfolio that they really want the agency to manage, but they're going to have to buy it in order to, to get the transaction piece done. But you're right now. How am I going to finance it? What does that look like? And I think being able to provide those tools and those insights is going to be super fruitful as more and more agencies do look at that as another way of serving both their existing clients as well as new clients. Well,
0: I think it then- becomes an important piece as the market starts to change, right? If we're looking at any kind of market contraction over the next, whatever, 10 years, right? The consolidation of agencies, which I think is you know most likely on the horizon.
1: It very much is. ACA went through... And called a special governance task force to deal with that. Mm. And it was led by uh, Jack Brown and had a, a number of different agencies of all different sizes and geographies in, involved looking at that. And, and the prediction is that, you know, we're going to be half the number of collection agencies that we are today, mostly because of consolidation. But the total employment is expected to be the same or even grow 10 years out. So we'll have fewer agencies, but they'll be larger, they'll be more sophisticated. And as you said, looking at other revenue streams uh, as they continue to try to grow and debt buying definitely can be one way that that growth
0: occurs. Well, as the regulatory bar starts to rise, I mean, consolidation seems like a necessary task because, I mean, look, it's. Just, I always look at it as an economies of scope type of situation, right? Why does McDonald's serve breakfast? Well, not because they have a, this passion for breakfast, but they already had a restaurant, they already had a staff, they already had everything, else. they already had the eggs, right? Like all they had to do was scramble them and put them on a McMuffin. Um, and so I think that agencies will start to look at that same kind of thing. And I know that we've seen... A lot of mergers and acquisitions over the past three to five years, and I think that some of that was just people preparing for retirement or other things, but there's only so many exit strategies available to you in the collection space. It's hard to sell to someone who does not have an understanding of the space itself, right? It's not like running a, uh, a convenience store. There's a lot more complexity to our business than there is to your average, you know, kind of day-to-day operation.
1: There is. And so you'll see the private equity that has come into the space really has a strong understanding and have, has done their homework in mm-hmm. getting prepared for what is this business model really about? What are What's the upside? What are all the risks? Because the risks get a bit exaggerated uh, with strict liability, for example. You're right. Not every uh, business or, or industry has the same kind of risks that uh, collection agencies do.
0: For us, I think it's a a very interesting time, but one of the things that you had mentioned was talking a little bit about benchmarking and helping organizations to better understand where they fit into the overall scale of things.
1: Oh my gosh, this is a great topic, Adam. And I'm so proud of ACA members that participated in developing this and the volunteer leaders, the board, uh, past president, Kevin Basch, Uh, We've been at this for about a year and a half, and we had the vision of creating a benchmarking tool, and we just launched a month ago to where this tool is now live, and we put so much effort into it to make sure, um, first of all, let me back up. What is the benchmarking tool? Well, a lot of, uh, I don't know about a lot, several of our ACA members belong to small benchmarking groups, people they don't necessarily compete with, different parts of the country and their share and they share many of their data sets together. And in that sharing, it causes really good questions to be asked, like, oh, they're being more effective in their letter strategy there than I am. What can I do differently? How do they perceive risk? And a lot of good conversations that causes good business questions to get on the table. And ultimately, they grow both their their bottom line and their top line by having those questions, which are coming from seeing data compared you against everybody else. And we wanted all ACA members to participate or have the ability and the chance to participate in benchmarking so that those same good questions can come on the table for them. And so we pulled it off. We've partnered with a third party firm that this is all they do for uh, just under a hundred other trade associations. And we modeled ours after the way the AICPA uses their tool, which is complete anonymity. So anybody who's Mm -hmm. in the system, You don't know who else is in the system and that your data is being compared to. In ACA nomenclature, there's nine different tiers. So you could select that as a metric. You know, I'm a tier Mm. two. Let me see how I'm doing against other tier twos, but you don't know the names of those organizations. The only people that can see data are people that actually participate and put their data in the system. So, you know, my rosy colored glasses, I hope, Every ACA member participates because that makes it even more robust, especially because then they're going to be getting the insights. But it's on a number of different uh, perspectives. You could compare who has a SOC 2 certification. Mm -hmm. How are you stacked up against them? Uh, How are you, if you're uh, a woman-owned or minority-owned agency, against others in that same classification? And we build it so the financial metrics are by vertical. So if you're in healthcare, you're going to see those numbers, not just the generic ones. If you serve different government entities, you can see that industry specifically. If you serve utilities or student loans, all of that data. It used to be in the ACA Marcus report that we do every three or four years. It was really Mm -hmm. tough to do that, Adam. As you know, when you ask for a survey, it's only as good as how many people respond. True. And you would do it infrequently here that data is going to be available every quarter so talk Mm -hmm. about fresh data it'll be right there and it's all within the ftc uh, rules for uh, compliance to where we're not uh, violating uh, any of those so for example we have to have at least five people in your particular genre that you're comparing against in order to disclose Uh, part of the ftc is we have to age the data 90 days so all of that data will be at least one quarter old before Mm -hmm. we do comparisons. So full compliance with the FTC's rules there, but really good uh, insight that we think uh, is really gonna be a benefit to ACA members. We did it for third party. So that's got its own module. First party servicing has its own and sort of in your neck of the woods, we also have one for debt buying. So people that do debt buying can put their financial metrics in there and see how they're doing on a comparative basis. And it compares, you'll see where you are the 25th percentile, the 50th, the 75th, the 100th, et cetera. So I think it's going to be a tremendous tool. One other way ACA has evolved to better meet the needs of its members to help them succeed.
0: Well, it sounds like you guys are are finding new ways to share information and to get everybody working together without necessarily knowing how they're working together um, and I know that that methodology works in the space. We did it at ComplyArm where every time somebody asked us for an update, they had two options. They could either pay me for the update or they could make the update available to everybody and then we wouldn't charge for it. And I don't think anyone ever paid me for an update. So everybody found themselves working together regardless of whether or not they knew who they were working with because in the end, especially at the beginning of the CFPB era, we were all looking to create best practices and we were all hoping that everybody else was living by those same best practices so that we were not going to continue to be targeted as an industry and we're going to be able to defend ourselves through doing things the right way. And I think over time, we've all reached that point. And I'm you know, very proud to be part of the receivables management industry at this point in time. I mean, I feel like we've really evolved as an industry, whether it be agencies, debt buyers, law firms, everybody's kind of evolved based on the challenges that we all faced. And I think in a lot of cases, we all work together to get towards this common resolution of, of doing things, quote unquote, the right way.
1: And Adam, you talked about what's going on at our conferences. As we go out in time and some of this data and trended data becomes available, ACA will be incorporating benchmarking discussions into our conferences. So people that don't have a benchmark group could come and look at some of the data, get some of those questions on the table. You know, how do people accomplish this level of success that we're seeing in the model? And so Mm -hmm. people will be able to have community and share those ideas. Oh, I was talking about Ignite and we have a leadership piece called Level Up, which happens The day before Ignite, so it starts at one on Tuesday and goes till four on Wednesday, and then we kick off Ignite uh, after that. But Level Up, just think about it. You know, I'm from Oregon. I think there's three publicly traded companies in Oregon, so you're not getting a lot of leadership development Mm -hmm. in the ranks, if you will, from from the big companies. Everybody's sort of homegrown, you know. So if you don't have your own leadership development methodology for the young leaders that you have in your organization, ACA is partnering in a way to give that resource, provide that resource, so you can invest in those young leaders. Because whether you invest in them or not, they are your leaders. Now it's the quality of their leadership and what will they do, if you will, to the rest of the people in the organization. So this is a way of investing in them, which speaks volumes in terms of, you care enough about me and my professional goal and progression, as well as you care about the quality of the culture that I'm in part in charge, uh, going to influence and have a big impact on and effect on. And so we created, it used to be the leadership symposium, and now it's called Level Up. The one we're doing in the spring is geared towards supervisors and managers. And Mm -hmm. something you said, Adam, really uh, struck me, and that is that ability to talk to each other really from a compliance standpoint and from a, like we are a great industry. Yeah, we are because we're at these events, we're participating, we're learning best practices, we're implementing them, we're taking all that knowledge and insight back to our shops, we're evolving our shops, both on those things that cause improvements to the bottom line and the top line, but also from that compliance perspective, because that is so important. And so events like this allow you to develop relationships that you can count on five, 10, 15 years down the road as well as the technical information that you're bringing back and applying to your organization.
0: Well, it sounds like there's a lot of exciting things ready to happen at ACA Ignite. I look forward to seeing you there in just a few short weeks. I think it's going to be a fantastic conference. For those of you that are watching, if you have additional questions that you'd like to ask uh, Scott or myself, you can leave them in the comments here on LinkedIn or YouTube, or we'll be putting some information uh, and some links in the description below so you can get straight to the ACA Ignite website, should you like to join us there at Caesars Palace later this month. Scott, until next time, though, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with me today. I always appreciate your time and our opportunity to have a chat at whatever event we may find ourselves at throughout the year.
1: Adam, it was a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity and greetings to everyone that's, uh, that's listening along. Till next time.
0: For those of you that are watching, we'll see you again soon.